Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quality Care Talks. Sponsored by the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, HFAM, Quality Care Talks explores leadership, innovation, and the critical issues facing long-term and post-acute care providers serving Marylanders in need. Whether you are a provider, vendor, or consumer, Quality Care Talks will help you navigate the complex and ever-changing healthcare industry. Hey friends, welcome to HFAM Quality Care Talks. In today's episode, we are so blessed to have Luann Brubaker from Brubaker Consulting join us today. Luann, how are you? I'm great, Joe. This is just a really fun thing to be a part of. I know, it's pretty cool, right? Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, absolutely. You know, you and I have known each other a bunch in our work in post-acute long-term care and healthcare in general, but I have to tell you, I was a little shocked because I didn't realize that you have been doing what you are doing and evolving as a consultant in our space since the late 80s. Right. This is actually 30 years. And I just am astonished at how quickly it has all gone by. It has been just the most amazing and uh, enlightening adventure you're really good at it. And then I was reminded again, looking at your bio, that you went to Kent State and you studied their public policy and political science. Yeah. You know, one of the things that intrigues me, you know, you're a past chair of the Beacon Institute and you spend a lot of energy remaining relevant and having depth in what it is that you do. Have you always been this you know, this scholar, this person who looked for meaning and helped others to be the best they could professionally? You know, I've always been curious. And I think that that's really where it has to to start. I've always been a voracious reader. So I was actually getting my pedicure a couple of weeks ago. And the folks on either side of me were reading, I don't know, Cosmo and People Magazine or something. And I was reading, I don't know, some last thing that CMS had put out with regard to a policy change. You know, I'm sitting there with my highlighter and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. But I I think you, you have to just go full tilt at it because the only constant in post acute care is change. That's absolutely true. You either sign on to try to remain apprised of what's going on or what might be going on, or it's pretty easy to fall behind in what's happening. Well, you know, I heard a great quote the other day, and it was, you think change is difficult, try being irrelevant. (laughs) I like that. I think you and I are going to use it a lot. I think so too. Yeah, I'm committing that one. I'll, I'll try to remember to give you credit for it. Oh, absolutely. So let me ask you, you studied public policy and political science at Kent State, and you've been doing what you're doing since the late 80s. How did you end up a leader and executive specifically in healthcare? I got interested a little bit of it while I was in college, simply because I had the opportunity to, as part of my degree, work on a licensure program for social workers in the state of Ohio. That's where I was living at the time. I was I was sort of a gopher as part of that process and it was it was intriguing. And it and it put me with a whole lot of folks all across the continuum in terms of healthcare. And then, you know, somewhere after college, I got asked to uh, run a low income 
seniors program, uh, energy program to try to keep the heat on in the winter. And I, and I found it just incredibly rewarding, the sense of partnership to do the greater good. Uh, and then somewhere after my that, I, I, in my early 20s, I was hired uh, by a company, a family-owned company in Columbus, Ohio area, to run their sales and marketing for a medication distribution systems company. So they provided systems to pharmacists that were servicing uh, nursing facilities. Wow. Yeah, it was great. It was a fabulous company. I had absolutely, uh, Ken Relier was certainly one of my mentors. He was the founder of the company. He gave me a free hand, which was really exciting. Uh, so in a short period of time, I changed our sales focus from not just trying to sell our products to the pharmacies, but actually partnering with prospective and current customers to help them get more business within their their individual senior care markets. I was sending my salespeople out with these pharmacists to sit down at nursing facilities saying, hey, we'd like to we'd like to be your pharmacist here and this is what we bring to the table. And I found over time we got much greater customer loyalty, uh, despite the fact that our products were substantially more expensive because we invested in their growth. And uh, it, it ex- helped us exceed our, our own sales goals. Years and years and years ago, a, a fellow that's well known in the state of Maryland, who was a founder of a pharmacy here that grew eventually up into one of the, the largest in America, Milton Moskowitz told me that a good deal has to be a good deal for both. And I've tried to embrace that in my entire career. Well, Milton is certainly one of my mentors, and and, and uh, I had dinner with him about two and a half weeks ago, maybe oh, three weeks you. ago now. Yeah, really blessed. He's sort of my my Tuesday with Maury guy. <laughs> I, I, I've got to I've got to come up with a better handle, like Mondays with Milton. That's so funny. I know it's true. It's true. We'll we'll talk another time about the lesson that he continues to walk me through, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So let me ask you this. What gets you motivated in the morning? Why do you wake up every day and you're like, wow, I get to do this as opposed to, oh, I got to do this? Oh, no. I, I, after 30 years, Joe, I, I continue to be just so excited by what I'm able to do. You know, I, I love learning. I like finding synergies to help the senior care providers and, and even the companies now that, that offer products and services to them succeed. You know, it's post-acute care is, is volatile in terms of the regulatory and, and the financial environment, but it's been incredibly fulfilling. When I look back at some of the things that I've been asked to do, I rolled out palliative care uh, in over 400 facilities, something that I have felt passionately about. God bless you for that. Well, you know, and it's so interesting because, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was talking about palliative care. And there, there are people that are still a little bit confused about what the difference is between that and hospice. But I've seen the tremendous difference it makes in the quality of, of life for both seniors and their families. I've been honored to teach thousands of, of frontline facility managers to become better leaders. I've done some of that training through HFAM. But that's what motivates me. You know, I get up every day and I, and I want to learn and I'm humbled, you know, that I get to spend my days either out in facilities or, or at conferences with people that are, you know, basically committing their professional lives within this space to help seniors and families cope, you know, with this process of aging, which we're all still trying to figure out. Yeah. And it's important that we do figure it out. And it comes with that, both opportunity and challenge. But you're right. Change is the constant. So if you had to articulate 
in the marketplace, the problem that you seek to solve in the marketplace, what would it be? Yeah, it's funny. I was I was on an airplane, I don't know, many, many, many years ago. And, you know, people strike up conversations with you, you know, random strangers sitting on right. the plane. And the fellow next to me asked, you know, so, you know, why are you going to wherever I was going? And I said that I was going to go speak at a healthcare conference. And he said, oh, really, like hospitals? And I said, oh, no, the, the, the better part of the business, the post-acute. <laughs> and uh, he said, what's post-acute? And I said, well, that's, you know, independent living and assisted living and, and skilled nursing facilities and home health and hospice and all. And, and he said, well, nursing homes, that's nursing homes? And I said, well, yeah, we don't call them that so much anymore. But he said, well, what are their problems? And I thought, it, you know, it was a really great question because what it ended up doing was distilling in my mind something that has remained. And that is that the remarkable thing about this world is that senior care providers have to basically keep four balls in the air simultaneously. And if they drop any one of them, it's going to affect the other. And the four balls are, I've got to achieve regulatory compliance. And it continues to be more and more rigorous in terms of the surveys and all. You know, they have to achieve financial viability because money rules uh, and drives everything else. They've got to really have their act together in terms of attracting the kind of higher paying residents to their facilities. So under Medicare or managed care or insurances or what have you. And they have to, to recruit and retain the best staff they, they can lay their hands on. And if I'm not doing any one of those well, the other three balls are going to drop. So I work with those companies, those, those post-acute care providers, to try to help them be successful in those areas and, and make sure that the companies providing services to them, you know, are able to assure their value proposition and supporting them. You know, and part of it, I guess, Joe, is you got to be nimble in this. You, right. you have to respond to the unexpected and, and prepare them for what I think is ahead. And there's always something ahead. Yeah, well, absolutely. What I love about your and my collaboration and where we overlap and our friendship is that for a long time, if you were in association management in post-acute long-term care, senior living, if you focused on trying to work or achieving results on financial stability or rates and or regulatory predictability and appropriate regulation. Uh, you know, I've always been a voice for appropriate regulation. I'm not against regulation. I just, given my public policy background, I'm for appropriate regulation. 100% uh, agree. That focuses on outcomes and impacts. So for a long time, if you did those two things, you could do really, really great work on behalf of your members. And increasingly, still increasing, but increasingly over the last maybe six or seven years and still increasing is this third bucket having to do with navigation and partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it used to be that if you were a post-acute provider, you know, a skilled nursing rehab center, assisted living or in senior living, you could do pretty doggone well as an island unto yourself. Mm -hmm. And now looking forward, you really you really can't do that. You really have to have quality-based, outcomes-focused partnerships with people throughout the healthcare continuum. And while we've spoken about the healthcare continuum for a really long time, the reality is, is that it's been largely an academic construct. And now we live in an age where 
it has to be more than that academic construct. So a lot of what you and I have to do and what we focus on really is helping organizations to navigate that change. And I think you're spot on. If you aren't compliant from a regulatory standpoint, you are not long for this world as a provider. And in terms of financial um, stability, no margin, no mission. Whether you are a large for-profit enterprise or a large or small nonprofit enterprise, and we have all of those in HFAM's membership, you got to have margin to support your mission. And then, yeah, you do have to know your niche with regard to the potential patients and the families that you serve. It's not enough anymore to say, we take care of older people, or we take care of people that aren't strong enough to go home from the hospital. You've got to know that you're better at one thing than or another. You've got to go and take a look at Jim Collins and what is your hedgehog in assisted living or in skilled nursing and rehab care. And the thing that actually is starting to keep me up at night, and I wonder your thoughts on it, is in a low unemployment environment now, it's becoming harder and harder to recruit quality talent. I 100% agree. And the saddest part of this is that it's just terrible to me when people do recruit quality staff and then they lose them because there's either poor frontline managers because those folks haven't been invested in in terms of their skill sets. You know, too often I've watched people get promoted into management positions in the senior care world because they were good at something else. You know, you take the good nurse and then you make that person a nurse supervisor and you don't provide them the skill sets and then you, you create some staff instability on that unit. And I guess the second thing is there hasn't always been sort of a creative, if you will, use of scheduling. We still have this construct of three shifts a day, you know, starting at, at seven in the morning and, and not offering a tremendous amount of flexibility to people that have childcare needs. Um, we don't think in terms of split shifts, if you will. And, and I think that, you know, you look at the McDonald's of the world or the, the, the targets of the world, and they're offering those kind of opportunities that give greater work-life balance or help people mitigate other kinds of expenses like, you know, tremendous childcare burdens so that it's not as onerous. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt that we live in an age where healthcare has largely been a fee-for-service industrial construct mm-hmm. where we must, in order to do our best work for the boomers as we age, to be a post-industrial, outcome-focused wellness system going forward, right? And th- those are two different types of systems. But entirely. You know, and, and we're about to see you know, the, potentially the next big shift financially, uh, you know, on the Medicare side based upon, absolutely, yeah, based upon, you know, what, what Medicare is talking about with RCS1. And, you, you know, to your point that this has largely been a fee-for-service kind of, of profession, the checkbook's going to close. The idea that, that the government is going to just pay based upon volume of services is untenable. It can't be supported. So, you know, as you say, everybody has skin in the game. They're all looking at what kind of partnerships they can form. This RCS1 is a push to reduce the utilization of of therapy just for the sake of therapy. 
and because it, it tends to be more margin friendly and I and they're going to really put the pressure on facilities now to expand their clinical capabilities. I think you're precisely I think you're precisely right on that. I think you're spot on. So in all of this work, what do you consider your personal mission in it? You know, I think it's a pretty broad brushstroke. You know, I, I try to understand the bigger picture all the time in post-acute care to help people be able to drive quality care and better outcomes and higher quality of life for the people that they provide services to. I'm, I'm committed to making a difference here. I'm committed to making that difference. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, we certainly see it in your work. Maybe this is a fantastic time in our discussion to take a little break. Those of you out there listening to us, we are interviewing today Luann Brubaker from Brubaker Consultants, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Quality Care Talks, produced by the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, HFAM. We'd like to invite you to join us at the HFAM Leadership Institute on May 3rd, 2018 at the Hotel at Arundel Preserve. Sponsored by WGL Energy and Medline, the Institute's keynote speaker will be Maryland Secretary of Commerce, Mike Gill. To register for the HFAM Leadership Institute, please visit www.hfam.org. And now back to the conversation. Hey friends, this is Joe DeMatos, the president and CEO of the Health Facilities Association of Maryland. Thank you so much for joining us in this incredibly powerful and productive conversation with Luann Brubaker from Brubaker Consulting. I don't know why I struggled on that just then. And our version, our issue today of HFAM Quality Care Talks. So Luann, let me ask you just a pretty straightforward question. Are you bullish or bearish on the future of post-acute, long-term, and senior care in the U.S.? Well, I'm a Taurus, Joe, so I probably always have to come down on the bullish side. But I, I think <laughs> that the, the future is a bright one for this environment. You know, we're, we're a rapidly aging country, and, and care will always be needed. And even though there was certainly the inclusion of more money for home and community-based services, uh, under the Affordable Care Act, you know, there's always going to be the need for a place for people to be cared for. Uh, it's just an environment that continually evolves. You know, they're going to need new strategies for better outcomes uh, at lower costs with higher satisfaction and, and more person-centered care. And I think that's an incredibly exciting thing to the point where I'm encouraging young people I know to look at senior care as a viable career opportunity. Yeah, I agree. You know, I teach at UMBC. I teach two classes there. I take, teach an undergraduate public policy course and a graduate leadership course. And one of the first things I do in both of those classes is I say, look, if you want an incredibly rewarding career, both in terms of how you feel about it and your rectitude and what you can earn and contribute and how you can grow, you can write your own ticket mm -hmm. in post-acute and long-term care. Absolutely. And, and I honestly believe that. Oh, to be younger again. I just think the world, the possibilities is absolutely incredible. So in this, what do you consider urgent in your professional life? <laughs> I think maybe isn't as urgent as it should be, although I, I try to work at it. I, I think I'm not alone in trying to find the balance between the professional and the personal, because it's tough when you find the work so fulfilling 
And, and yet you also want to spend time with the, the, you know, the people that are, that are important to you. You know, I, I was on over 240 flights last year working with clients and speaking at conferences. And, you know, it requires a lot of coordination to be able to do the work that moves me and spend time with the people I love. And I think, you know, a lot of it is that I'm just blessed with an amazingly supportive spouse. Right. That's incredible. What's the farthest you went last year? Where'd you go? Oh, I, I just keep going back and forth from one, you know, side of the country to the other. I was, wow. yeah, I was in Seattle last week teaching a two-day sales course to folks selling their products to senior care. I'll be back out in Spokane for Washington Healthcare's conference. And then uh, let's see, I'll be at the Integra conference in out Denver. See, I don't even know where I'm going. In Denver. And then San Diego, I think, is uh, the National Community Pharmacists Association that they do for McKesson. So yeah, this feels like the year of lots of West Coast travel, although I get a lot of work done on the plane. Yeah, isn't it amazing? It is. I'm the same way. I, I actually like traveling at least sort of to Denver. And then I love the train to New York mm-hmm. because some of my most productive time is on the train or on the airplane. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know, it's sort of crazy. One of the things that inspires me about you and your portfolio, and one of the reasons that you're held in such high regard amongst association executives in the consulting that you do is that there aren't a lot of folks that teach and coach nurses and nursing assistants and administrators and leaders in organizations. You know, typically the trainers in our space, the experts in our space, they typically, you know, they don't, they're not typically trainers of the C-suite folks, the administrators, the nurses, and it's very rare that if they are that, that they are also trainers of certified nursing assistants. And you do all with such depth and knowledge. Is that intentional that you reach that deeply into organizations? Absolutely. That, that's, that's what really makes this all just so meaningful to me. The best days I spend are in, you know, not in front of audiences necessarily at, at conferences, but you know, when I'm walking the floor of the facility and talking with the staff and and trying to figure out how they can have a better day and, and feel more competent and confident in what they're asked to do. That's a good day for me. That's, it sounds like it. So listen, you're clearly driven by values, universal values that guide you and that you're rooted in. Tell me a little bit about your governing values and the role that those values have played and play in your life. <laughs> you know, it's funny you ask that. I, I don't know how this, this began, but years ago, I started evolving to where it was almost like a litmus test, Joe, that, that's informed both my personal and professional relationships. It's like three pieces of, of a criteria. Whether it's somebody I'm going to do work for or with or, or include in my personal circle, I look to whether people have an intact value system. You know, are they ethical? Do they, they treat other people well? You know, do they bring something to the table? And, and it doesn't have to be associated with their job title or their education or their income, but I like to spend time with people that are curious and, and want to learn and explore new ideas. And, and then lastly, I look at whether people are low or high maintenance. You know, li- life is really too short to get 
spend much time, if you will, with people who either create a constant series of crises for themselves or are toxic. I like to work and spend time with people who, who put out a positive vibe. And, and as long as I've, I've sort of stayed with, with those, it's worked out pretty well for me. You know, it's interesting. Um, that's a great segue to um, the last question of our shared time today. But I had a mentor that taught me, and this was sort of an adjunct mentor. I'm, I'm creating a phrase mm -hmm. there. The mentor was a highly successful insurance company CEO with a large region of the world, Asia, mm -hmm. basically the, the Pacific and Asia. And uh, this mentor, this, this gentleman in this case, it's interesting, by the way, most of my mentors have been women, but, but that's, that's for a different discussion. This was a guy and he was the CEO of an insurance company that stretched throughout the Pacific and Asia. And he came to me as a mentor in my work as I was preparing to become president, worldwide president of the University of Hawaii Alumni Association. He was a president a couple of presidents ahead of me in that association when I joined the lineup and was a sort of officially in the pipeline to be a future president of the association. And he taught me a number of lessons and I'm, I want to unpack a couple of them with you and have you to unpack them and, and respond to them. But two lessons relative to the team was that he would go to his executive team and he would say, look, you can hit all of your marks. Like you can hit your retention marks and you can hit your financial marks and you can hit all of the marks. But if your colleagues don't want to work with mm -hmm. you, you will not be incentivized. You will not be bonused and you will not be promoted. You can be the best thing since sliced bread. You can make me and our shareholders a bunch of money. If you are high maintenance and people don't want to work with you, you don't have a future. The second thing he mentored me on back then was if you're a leader and you don't have an active succession plan, mm -hmm. I don't want you on my leadership team. I want you to realize that you're awesome. You're great. We need you. But if you don't have a plan in case you, heaven forbid, you get hit by a bus, mm -hmm. uh, then you shouldn't be on my leadership team. And then finally, and what got me thinking about it in your response was sometimes you've got to fire your best clients. Mm -hmm. Just sometimes you do because they are high maintenance and they're not being holding themselves accountable and you're doing everything you can to work with them and they're throwing up roadblocks. So sometimes, you know, people are good, but it's not a great match. Sometimes you got to cut loose those high maintenance sort of clients. How do those three points resonate with you? I think that you're spot on. You have to decide where you're going to invest your energy. And I think that it's really interesting that your mentor talked about part of your investment needed to be made in positive interpersonal relationships with colleagues. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. Yeah, I think you're right. So let me, let me end with this. Tell me about an important, critical mentor in your life. You know, Joe, I think over my career, many people have, have been willing to provide guidance to me. I mean, literally starting starting with the boss who believed that, you know, straight out of college, I had some capacity to, to run a home energy assistance program for the elderly. I mean, come on, really? No, I wouldn't have been my first choice. And, you know, to, to the ones who, you know, much later, you know, 30 years ago, pushed me to take the leap to, to start my own company. And I remember one of them saying, you know, you need to do it because nobody else is. It fuels the fire in you. 
you know, my clients have, have invested in my development. And then I think that there's just random stuff that happens. You know, somewhere in my 20s, I was still living in, in Ohio. There was a community sort of coffee shop that was at a store called Lazarus. And if you, if you roamed in there at noon, when the place was packed and you were alone, they would just sit you down at community tables and you never knew who you were going to sit with. And I went in there one time and they put me with this just incredibly elegant Barbara Bush-like white-haired lady. And it took me a minute. And then I realized her name was Gertrude Donahue and she was actually the, the Ohio treasurer. Wow. And she said, you know, she was very nice. And she said, you know, what brought you in here today? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking a new job. So I'm here to buy, you know, some couple of, of new suits, you know, business suits. And, you know, Lord knows, I think it was during the era, Joe, that all of women's blouses had to have the big bows in the front. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was not a good fashion era. It was not a good and, era. And I remember asking her, okay, give, give, me, give me some advice. What's, what's, what's the best advice that you can give me? Because I thought I've got her here, right? Captive audience. She's still eating her salad. And she said, well, first of all, you dress for the job you want. You never dress for the job you have. She said, uh, always think about who, as you said, is going to, to replace you. Because if you can't find your replacement, you'll never move up if you haven't trained that person. And she said, try to hire people who are smarter than you and smarter differently than you. And that has stayed with me my entire career. You know, I, I admire people that, that support the growth of others. I, I think it's just one of the most honorable servant leadership things that you can do. And, and I figure we're all standing on the shoulders of somebody else who saw something in us at some point. I think that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, I've, I've heard throughout my career hire people smarter than you. And I've always tried to do that, but hire people smarter than you that are different, smarter, differently than mm -hmm. you. That's a new take on that. And that's powerful stuff. It's really powerful stuff. So Luann, thank you so much for being a guest today on HFAM's Quality Care Talks. For those of you listening, you have been listening to Joe D'Amato's at the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, interviewing Luann Brubaker with Brubaker Consulting, and it's been an incredibly productive half an hour. So Luann, how can people reach out to you? Um, they, can, they can find me on my website, so www.brubakerconsulting. Uh, they can pick up the phone and call me, 301-535-5449. That's fantastic. Well, my friend, I admire you so. Thank you so much for all that you do not just in Maryland, but across the country and just keep on keeping on because as that mentor told you years ago, you got to do this because nobody else is. It's been incredibly, incredibly fulfilling, Joe, the whole ride. It has been incredibly fulfilling, but thank you very much for uh, having me on your uh, podcast today. This has been fun. Thanks friend. We'll see you soon. Be you well. Too. Take care. Thank you for joining us on Quality Care Talks. We would love your feedback on today's episode please be sure to rate us on iTunes. And don't forget about the upcoming HFAM Leadership Institute on May 3rd, 2018. Register today at www.hfam.org. We hope to see you there. Quality Care Talks is produced by the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, the state's oldest and largest association of skilled nursing and rehabilitation centers. For more information, visit www.hfam.org 
or send us an email at hmorris at hfam.org.